0: Chapter 6, I know I said last week, I wasn't exactly sure I was going to tackle this, um, still not exactly sure, but I know tonight, uh, I'm just going to walk through um, chapter 6. So, um, just, a, just a reminder, Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel it says, in verse 16, Paul says, actually, we were at a prayer meeting a couple nights ago, and Dr. John pointed out that verse 15, I think, is an important part of that uh, theme there. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And if you have the King James Version, it says, uh, what does it say? Anybody have the King James For as much as in me is, (laughs) with everything in me, I want to preach the gospel. Then he says, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I'm really, really eager to tell you about this because it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. And this is really dense language, but salvation is deliverance. The gospel, the preaching of the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It unleashes this power to everyone who, who hear it and, and trust God, who, 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 everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God, God's faithfulness to his covenant, God's justice in dealing with sin, God's uh, faithfulness to do everything he said he was going to do to Abraham, I mean, even before that, to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to David, all, all the promises. The gospel reveals how God has been faithful to every single one of his promises. They're all yes in Jesus. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So Paul says, here's the state of things. He gives the problem he says it's all in Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all of this, all the problems. And he's the fulfillment of every one of God's promises, which promises were given to address the problem of sin, to address the problem of humanity having gone totally off course. He says, Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to um, make a great nation out of you. And through you, the world's going to come back into the blessing that it was originally supposed to have when I created it. But he says the problem is, and he takes us all the way back to the creation of the world. Mankind has turned away, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they turned away from obeying God. And they uh, embraced independence from God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think that's important to keep in the back of our minds as we go through chapter 6 tonight. But but to continue uh, reviewing. So he says, all sinners... This is what's. This is what the case is. This is what the situation is. Um, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Basically, they've become fixated on things that that exist within creation, and they've forgotten about the Creator who created all these things. And that that goes from the sequence is: Hey, we worship creation. We worship the sun. We worship the moon. These are great and glorious things. But eventually. It starts out maybe understandable, right? You can understand why someone would look up in the sky and worship the moon, right? It's pretty awe-inspiring at certain times. But that begins this long downward trajectory into which we become enslaved, through which mankind becomes enslaved just to their base desires, the basest desires of their body. And that's where where idolatry leads to the power of sin all the way to I'm just in bondage to the passions of my flesh. And I've given up what I was created for and I'm just going out and trying to satisfy the passions of my flesh. So mankind is not in that position. But there's also people who go around, he says in chapter 2, who think they know what's right and wrong. The moralists. He says, but listen, Y'all are just as bad right? because you're hypocrites. You go around, you enforce your, your idea of morality on, on people, but you do things that aren't right also. So what makes you any better? And then he says, and especially you people who love to make sure that people know that you are Jewish, that you are the chosen people. He says, you too have gone astray. And so all he says at the end at, in chapter 3, verse 9 We have charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Okay, that's really important to the discussion of chapter 6. All are under sin. Okay? He talks about Abraham, about how true righteousness is really to get back to that relationship with God that just trusts God and walks out life with God. That's what God called Adam to do. Walk with me in the garden. Let's have dominion over the earth. You call this animal what you want to call it. Um, You take care of this place. You you work it. You keep it. You cultivate it, and through that, the glory of God will fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Fill the earth with my image. And in Abraham, it says he told Abraham, "I'm going to fill the earth." with your offspring, your image. And Abraham said, I I think you can do it. (laughs) I believe you can do it. And God says, see, that's why I I can work with you. (laughs) That's why you're the one. Because you believe me, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for someone who will trust me and walk with me. So that brought us to chapter 5 last week. And how... Well, this is a great part in chapter 5. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. God has justified mankind. And he's done it through Jesus. And uh, it says we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, so all are under sin, but we've been justified. And now we've been brought and now we uh, have access into grace. Okay, then he spells out how there was Adam and in Adam, this humanity was fallen. But now there is a new type of Adam, or no, Adam was the type of the one who was to come, it says. There's a new and better man. There's a a new and truer human. And he is now the pattern. So, Sin and death entered the world through Adam. This is the the point of chapter five. Sin and death entered the world through Adam, and Jesus came and didn't just kind of cancel it out and, and balance it out. He actually super super abundant abundantly over right much more um, that that he has he has not just brought humanity back on course, but he has actually done a better job than Adam ever did, and he's established a better humanity than Adam ever. Um, than Adam ever established. Okay, so we end up in chapter 5. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. All right? Where sin, sin came into the world, then the law came in, and then sin became really visible. How far mankind had gone off course. Guys, you want to see how far you've gone? Read about the way, read about my desire, read about the way that, that, that people should live. Right? The way that they should should behave. Read this list of, of rules and look at your lives. And look where you look where you've come from. Sin increased all the more. Chapter seven talks about some other stuff, some weird dynamics that the law introduces, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, but, but here we are. As sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we had Adam versus Christ. We had the, the old humanity and the new and better humanity in Christ. And those and we've been brought you know, we've been brought from sin and death into life and righteousness in Christ. Uh, so that all who are in Adam are still a part of that sin and death world which also actually includes law. Law is wrapped up in that part of the world, and we'll talk about that in a second. So here we are. There's these two, there's these two realities, these two, these two humanities that coexist for now. All right? Um, but let's, uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll start talking through chapter six. Father, thank you for this letter, and I pray that as we walk through uh, this next portion, uh, Lord that your your Holy Spirit would guide us, and that you would you would reveal uh, what you need to reveal to us, and that our lives would be changed because of it in jesus name amen so there we are we 're heading into chapter six, and all of that background I think is necessary because if you take if you take any part of Romans and there we go that 's better if we take any part of Romans and just start to Kind of draw a circle around it and try and understand what's in there. It's really hard. It gets really confusing. But if you if you continually bring in the rest of Romans and sometimes even some of Paul's other letters in, it, it will really help, It'll really help you understand. So when I was a young believer, I would read chapter six as this is as like one of the key chapters in like battling against sin fighting sin and pursuing holiness, which I think it's, it's fine to read it in that way. But there's a much richer way, which includes all of that, includes the battle over sin. Um, But I would always, in doing that, I would always be like, okay, I see that there's victory over sin, but what, what else, what does all this mean? Like, what does it mean practically? How do, how do I apply chapter six to my life? And It wasn't until I started to read it in light of the rest of Romans, what comes before and what comes after, that I started to see the real power of what Paul is trying to to explain here, especially the power that I was looking for and the freedom from sin and all that. So I think the main points will um, will be pretty clear as we go. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I always read this, are we to keep sinning so that grace will keep abounding? I think that's, that's not a, a wrong way to read it, but I think what Paul has been talking about up to this point is that there's this realm of sin. There's this realm, there's this way of being human where sin reigns, sin rules. There's this other way of being human where grace rules, and it leads to righteousness and life. And that's the life of Jesus. That's the Messiah. So, are we to continue in this realm of sin? No. No. By no means. How can you who died to sin still live in it? All right, so how can you who have Like, how can you who have, who have, you were in one kingdom and now you're in another kingdom, how can you who are in this kingdom now still live in that kingdom? Does that make sense? So, we need to think of it in terms of sin was a whole realm of existence. Just like the kingdom of God is a whole realm of existence and it affects every area of your life and everything's different in the, the kingdom of God. God has. God has ways to live. It's a whole way of life. So is sin. So you've died to that way of life. You've been transferred into a totally different realm. And you watch for the the language of reigning or ruling. And this begins to understand. You've come out of the rulership. You've come out from under the rulership of sin. Okay? How can you still live in that realm? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to say All right, if you're if you're struggling, if you're if you're continuing in sin, if your life, you know, you live in this world and hey, temptations are still there, if if you're continuing in sin, what you need to do is understand what actually happened when you were baptized. All right, so this is, this is really the thrust of the chapter. You've got to understand what has actually happened to you. Really, it's happened. You have come out from under the rulership of sin. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were made a part. You were united with him. We were buried, therefore, with him. And this is a long... Uh, it's hard to do it in English, but if you, if you see the word with, there's a whole line of with words that Paul uses here. Okay, And he's trying to describe everything that's happened to us with Christ. Because we've been united with him. In baptism, we've become identified with him, intertwined with him. So this word is really, you were co-buried with him. All right? Um, And then it says, we've been united with him. And we'll talk about that. But a little bit later, it says, we were co-crucified with him, and we have co-died with him, so we will also co-live with him. That's really what the words say, right? There's a, there's a, a prefix on the words that just means with. So it's all those words, but it's we've, we've co-died, we've been co-crucified, we've been co-buried. Everything that happened to Jesus happens to us when we are baptized when, when we are united with him, okay? We were buried. So, we, he says, you can't live in sin if you are in Christ. It doesn't make any sense. He says, because what actually happened at your baptism, you've got to understand this, is you were incorporated into Jesus. Jesus. So this all becomes about Jesus, not about you and your struggle with sin. It's about reckoning, and that's he—that's where he gets later, reckoning about the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Did he sin? No. Was he, was he uh, ruled by sin? No. He came into the world, and chapter 8 says this, he came into the world and submitted to the effects of sin and death and was raised from that mess and given new life. And so now we, as we are baptized into him, his story is our story. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says, You gotta listen to, you gotta understand what's happened to you. As you had as you believed in Jesus, as you as you put your faith in Jesus, and you were baptized into him, that everything that, that Adam had done wrong. All the different ways in which humanity had gone off course. That's all been dealt with in Jesus. But it didn't stay there in the ground. It was also raised to walk in newness of life. This is a new creation. This is a new kind of humanity. So when people say, it's funny when people say, one one of the most frequent excuses for sin is, I'm just human. Exactly. Which kind of human? If you are in Adam, it makes perfect sense. Well, yeah. But if you're in if if you're in Messiah, that kind of human does not live in sin. It's a totally different kind of human. Right? So so God has gone all the way down to the root. He's gone all the way back to Adam. And everything's gone into the ground, everything's been killed that needs to be killed. And what's been raised is a totally new kind of man. All right. So this is this is what he, he says as, as we go on. For if we have been united with him. And this is a really interesting word. It's only used once, I think, in the New Testament. King James says planted together with him. Um, it would be hard to it would be hard to describe kind of the nuances of the word. But basically, it's we've been engrafted into him. We've been, uh, the word is like, we've been with natured. <laughs> we've been, and, and uh, it often carries a, an agricultural connotation in other contexts. So we've been planted together with him. Right? And that that kind of goes with some of the other scriptures about going into the ground The seed goes into the ground and dies and then bears much fruit, right? Being buried with him, united with him in a death like his. And really, um, I should have brought a King James Bible because this obscures it a little bit. It's if we have been intertwined in the likeness of his death. Okay, and the, the word likeness is very important here. Think of Genesis. Genesis 1. He created man in his image after his likeness. Right? Romans 8 says, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We have a new humanity. And it's, if we're with Christ, we've been united with him in the likeness of his death. So, just like him, we've died. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay? So, the whole idea of representing, of Jesus representing humanity and us as a part of him, representing him, his life. It, it happened, it, in, insofar as it happened to him, it has happened to us in baptism. So we know that our old self, and this is the word man that he's, that he's been using, the first man, the second man, or the first Adam, the second Adam. We know that our old man, our old humanity, was crucified with him. So in Jesus, all of old humanity was crucified. Does this make sense? All of, All of Adam was crucified. All of fallen humanity was crucified, in order that the body of sin and we immediately think of like our physical body's propensity to sin. Again, I think that's part of it, but also, you know, a body is just a a corporate entity. Adam is a body of sin, that whole body of sin wrapped up in in Adam, now all in, in that mankind in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, our bodies are a part of that, but the whole body of sin might be brought to nothing So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. God has taken that whole realm, that whole uh, uh, rulership, and rendered it powerless. But the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So the idea is, in baptism, we have died with Christ. And how did he die? He died to all of that old humanity. And he was raised as a totally new kind of human. That's happened to us. That has happened to us. Now think about it. If you're coming to this chapter and you're wondering, all right, how can I fight sin? Paul's telling us, but it's not in the way that you usually think how do you fight sin? I need to realize what's happened to me. I need to realize that sin actually doesn't have any power over me. That actually I have, I'm a totally new kind of human. All right, and he'll go on to spell this out through the rest of the chapter. So Christ being uh, raised from the dead will never die again, right? So he's not, He's not a, a new... Um, he was raised from the dead, but a few other humans in Scripture were raised from the dead, but then they also had to die again. You know, I think Lazarus had to actually die. So he hasn't been simply resuscitated. Okay, He has died. He has really died and been really raised again. And so now death is no longer in his future. It is still for us, and this is part of the tension in this part of Scripture. We have... There are things that have happened. We are living in this present state, but there's a future glory to be revealed. But a lot of that life, that future life, is not just reserved for after our physical death. That's what one, of the, one of the things that Paul is saying here. Does that make sense? We look ahead to that, and we hope for it, but God gives us evidence of it now. And one of the key evidences of it now is that we can live, we can coexist in this world where there are old Adams, <laughs> there is the old Adam, and there is the life of Jesus, the realm of grace, they're, they're still coexisting in the earth, right? In the final day, they won't be coexisting. Everything that's opposed to the, to the reign of God will be, will be done away with, it will be, will be take, carried out of the earth. The earth will be set completely to right. But... For now, that's why there's sufferings. That's why there's all these things that he mentions in chapter 5 and in chapter 8. That there's tribulation, there's famine, there's all these evidences of the fallen humanity. All these leftover, he says, we can actually live among that in a victorious way. Because of what has actually happened in our baptism. We've really been recreated, all right, and brought to into a new kind of life. If we die with Christ, we'll also live with him. And that's in the future, but also now. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion, another Genesis 1 word. Man turned over his dominion of the earth, he chose to live independently, and he turned his dominion over to sin. And sin reigned and ruled and was doing in the earth what mankind was supposed to be doing. Everybody had to submit now to sin, and sin was the ultimate power in the world. And death was the evidence of that. Nobody could escape death, right? Death was the evidence that you are powerless to escape the the sin that's now in the earth. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, and this is where kind of the the first big point comes. So you also must... Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. All right, the first step, you've got to understand what's actually happened to you. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. it. Doesn't matter what you might what perspective you have. <laughs> this is the reality. And so reckon, reckoning is an accounting term. All right? I don't like accounting. Because accounting doesn't care about my feelings. <laughs> accounting doesn't care about um, how much I thought I had. Right? It's, it's brutal facts. <laughs> it's cold numbers. Two plus two is always four in this world. And that's what he's saying. That's how, he's, that's how sure he said, you need to be coldly <laughs> like an Excel sheet in this reality. That you have died to sin and that there is no there is no sin has no power over your life anymore. Doesn't matter how you feel. That's the fact. Does that make sense? Add it up. And so it's not saying I'm going to try harder not to sin. I'm going to try harder not to sin. I'm going to try harder not to sin. Really that's like saying you know I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the spreadsheet turn out in the way that I want. No. It's a reality that, that is totally outside of you. You gotta add it up. Look what it look what the numbers say. Look what the formula spits out. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. that 's the first step you 've got to understand you have to be in touch with reality with the spiritual reality all right um, it 's hard to illustrate i think it 's hard to illustrate this because we get all confused in our minds because we we're, we, we know what we 've experienced we know the ways that we 've struggled with sin failure um, lack of maturity, you know, and all these things. We and we know what we've experienced. None of that matters. None of that has anything to do with this fact. How hard it's been, how hard I've struggled. None of that has any bearing on the bottom line. Because it's totally outside of you in your experience. Reckon yourselves it says consider yourselves, but I think it's, we, we got to bring the accounting. you got to add it up. You're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's why he says, let not sin, therefore. Therefore, don't let it, don't give it any authority. So you see, now, after you reckon that, after you've, you've done an audit of the, of the reality of life, and you've come to, to face the cold, hard truth <laughs> of, your, of your reality, of, you, of your standing, of the fact that you are no longer in the dominion of sin. You're in the dominion of God. You're in the realm and the reign of God. You're not under sin. You are under Grace, as it says, let not sin therefore reign. Why would you give? All right, I'm, I'm, I live in the United States. Why would I care what Kim Jong-un thinks that I should do? Why would I care about his threats? Why would I care about his manipulations, his coercions, right? I'm not I'm not under sin. I'm not under North Korean tyranny. Right? Why does that have any bearing on what I do? Right? Unless I keep unless I keep tuning in what did, what does he say? How does he think life should be run? Oh. Okay. Right, do you see? He's saying you're in a different you're in a different kingdom. Don't give this kingdom's ruler reign over you in this kingdom. So here's where it can get, can get kind of practical now. All right. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Okay, we have mortal bodies. These bodies are going to die. All right. We have not reached the final resurrection. All right. We will. We're assured of it, as this portion of Scripture makes absolutely clear. This is, this is what real predestination is. Right, We will be raised. All right. But we, we are still in a mortal body. That's why this is all a problem, okay? We've, been, we've died to sin, but we still have a mortal body. This is the paradox. This is the tension of Christian life on this side of eternity. So we don't give sin reign in our, in our mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. And here's the thing, don't present your members to sin and members are isolated parts of a whole, right? Don't present, don't branch off and and have, you know, your mind in one place when you're in the kingdom of God. Don't branch off and let your emotions do this thing. Don't present any of your members, any of the parts of who you are, Sin, But present yourselves to God. And that's a holistic term, right? So there's members. Don't, don't have any area of your life. You might have a, a particular area that's, that's a problem for you. That's where you need to figure out, you know, you're presenting those, that aspect of your life. You're, you're presenting it to sin. You're acting like sin controls that area. But listen, present your whole self to God. Because that's whose you are anyway. And then he goes on to, to, talk about, to talk about that further. Present yourselves to God as who you are, which is those who have been brought from death to life. Say, God, I know who I am. And I know what my passions would, would do. But I want to present my my whole self to you because I know reality. I've reckoned myself dead to sin and alive to you. And take those members, those isolated parts of who you are that you present to sin. Present those to God as instruments for righteousness. So it's not just stop doing this, it's stop doing this and do this, right? There's, a, there's an active way to fight against sin. And it's not just to, to fight against sin, it's to say, I struggle with anger. Well, I'm going to wrestle with that. I'm going to wrestle with that with God and say, God, what would you have me do with this anger, with this, with this zeal that I have? Purify it or, or kill it altogether. What, what needs to happen? in order for that to be an instrument of righteousness. Can it be an instrument of righteousness? How? Right? Present and, and seek God on these things. What's the proper way for these members <laughs> to, to do what they want to do? For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law. Now that's a weird, why did he say law? You are not under, I would have said, you're not under sin, but under grace. That would have been a more understandable contrast. But here he's introducing, and this is why he has to go into chapter 7. He's, he's introducing the, the whole concept, the whole idea of law within this, within this mess, okay? Adam, sin, death, Christ, life, righteousness. Where's the law in all of this? I mean, because he knows who he's talking to. And they're people who live by the law. Well, yes, of course. We don't want to live and fall in fallen humanity. That's why God gave us the law. He showed us what He wants how He wants us to live. So what's going on here, Paul? He's gonna He's gonna have to unpack that in a whole chapter, right? So we bookmarked that. You're not under law, but under grace. He has already said in five twenty, the law came in. To increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So he's going to get back to talking about that, and that's what we'll talk about some uh, probably next week. But you're not under law, but under grace. I think what we can say at this point is he's lumping law in with that old humanity. So apparently law is all bundled together with that old way of being human. All right, and so we'll we'll talk about that uh, a little later. So what then? Are we to sin? Like And this is like NT Wright has a great example of this. It's like, you're not in France anymore. Stop speaking French. right? You're in America. You've been brought into a different country. so stop living <laughs> Stop living the French lifestyle here. like you can, you can you can stop now. Learn, learn the new language. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. So he says um, that what's actually happened is you've been brought out of one kind of slavery. And he says, and now you're not just kind of floating around. You actually have a very clear way of life that's in, in God. And it's righteousness. He brings our, that word back into it, which is the right way of being, the right way to live. So if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. And he, he, he is sure to bring that word into it. Because really all along, that's what God was trying to do in his people, right? Uh, the heart appears whenever he's, he's uh, whenever God is talking about in the Old Testament, talking about what it really means to be part of his people, what it really means to walk with him. You, know, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Deuteronomy 30 when he says, and I will circumcise your heart. So what it really means to be a part of the people of God is not about a physical marker. It's about a work of the heart. You've become completely, you know, and this is what the faith of Abraham really is. It's, what, it's the faith that he demonstrated before circumcision even entered the picture. It was this heart obedience, this trust. He said, I thank God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then he admits that that's a that's that's a uh, a metaphor that's faulty. It's it's, and he says, "I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. You're not slaves of righteousness in the same way that you're slaves to sin." right cuz this kind of slavery is what you were created for it's true freedom he says but stick with me here right you don't just go from this slavery to whatever you go from this slavery to this very active obedient life a way of life okay so just as just as sin came and it, it really determined every aspect of your life. It controlled you in every way. That's how pervasive the program of God of redemption is, right? The renewal, the new creation. It's just as pervasive, right? It's a slavery of righteousness. It's your whole person. It's your whole being. It's your whole life. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawless leading, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were s- slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? He's saying, that was no way to be human. That was going against the grain of the universe. <laughs> Maybe you pleased yourself here and there. But now that you've seen the glorious purpose for which you were created, that's shameful. Right? Those brief, momentary, you getting your own way, you just feeling how you want to feel at other people's expense, it's shameful. This is totally the, the opposite way that the world was created to run. The end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. I mean, I think we need to hear, he says, I'm speaking in a human way. I think we need to see Paul going, you're, sla- you're now, you're a slave of God. It's nothing like the slavery of Egypt, right? Because it's, you're not under sin. You're under the control and the tyranny of grace (laughs) you know okay yeah that's that's kind of slavery i want become a slave of god and the fruit you get it leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord whenever he says free gift it's the same word as grace it's just a, it's a different form of it. Um, grace is charis. Um, free gift is charisma. Um, it's just, it's, it's favor. It's, it's God's life imparted to you. It's blessing, it's flourishing. The flourishing of God leads to you living the kind of life that is eternal living the kind of life that is glorious that brings um, that brings God's kingdom into the earth. I didn't print out my notes, so I got to look them up on here. So in sin, continuing in sin means continuing to live as if you are under the dominion and the power of sin. Don't, I mean, why would you, again, why would you submit to the tyranny of someone that has no bearing on your life? You're in a totally different realm. Um, reckon is the accounting term. So I think we need to, for, as an application, I think we need to, to realize Paul's not being ambiguous. He's not, we want to say, so Paul, how do you live a holy life? I think He's going to get to that. Right. In fact, chapter 12, is all about that. Chapter 12, 13, 14. He goes on and he says, in chapter 14, he says, let me tell you, if you do this one thing, you will fulfill the whole law. Right? So he's going to tell people how to live a righteous life, to live a holy life. It looks different than they thought. Oh, this whole thing just means love one another? Oh, if, I, if my whole heart is, is oriented toward the good of another... That's all God's ever been looking for. Oh, okay. (laughs) But chapter 12 talks about all kinds of very practical, so here's how you live. So you won't really find here's how you live in chapter 6, but you have the foundation for everything that he's going to say about how you live. And that is, this is the way the kingdom, the realm, the rulership of grace operates. Right? And just to get a taste of that, Flip over real quick to to chapter 12. And he picks up, I mean, really some of the same language. By the mercies of God, present your bodies, right? Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Right? Don't let the tyranny of sin tell you how you should live anymore. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind as you reckon, as you continue to come back to the solid reality, to the, to the audit of your life that says you've been brought out of the power of sin and you now serve. You are a slave of God. By the renewal of our mind, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. In that Inherent in that is this isn't a black and white sometimes, right? After we're brought out of this dominion and we're set on this path with God and we're delivered, it's sometimes difficult to figure out exactly what life looks like then. But that's the process of the renewal of your mind. And then then by testing, you begin to discern what's good. Because we're so jacked up. We don't understand what good is. And so it's a process. So that process begins with what he talks about in chapter 6. You've got to understand something very clear, very, very uh, definite, unmistakable has happened in your baptism. You with Christ have gone into the ground with sin and death and you've been brought back out of the ground as a totally new kind of human. And yeah, you still have this mortal body and the rest of your life before you kick the bucket, you've got that to figure out. But listen, figure that out all in light of that fact. Live the rest of your days under the dominion of grace as a slave of God and see where that leads. And I think he says... You guys are going to, you're not going to, you're not even going to be able to conceive of the possibilities of that. And chapter 8 begins to unveil some of the glory. As we, as we work that out, as we figure out what's right, the trees are going to come to life. Creation's going to begin to rejoice because the sons of God are coming into maturity. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, he just gives some very practical, uh, here's how you live. You're not all that. Sin told you you were all that. You're not. <laughs> There's a lot of other people in this world. And you have a, you have a part to play in the human family. And you find your way toward that part, and you play it with faithfulness, and it may look like nothing. it may look like I don't know leading, it may look like uh, obscurity and anonymity, but that doesn't matter because you you are you're living out the new life, the resurrection life. So I do think we need to to carry away from this chapter a very clear understanding that that sin is not normal for a Christian. Sin's not normal for a Christian. Where there is sin in your life, what has happened is you've, you've presented, you, you've gone back in your heart to, to Egypt. He said, I like the way that they do it. Remember that, that story where they begin to long for the things of Egypt? That's what happens. Right? They were brought through the Red Sea. They were on their way to the promised land, but they were presenting their members. Right? They were on the journey. They were God's people, but they were looking back. That's what happens. That's our, that's our situation when we begin to struggle with sin. What has happened is we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten how terrible Egypt is. We've forgotten that it leads to death. And we've also forgotten that we're a totally new kind of people here. Headed to a totally new kind of place in a way that operates in a totally different way than Egypt. And so the way we handle, the way we handle sin is we remember. We remember what story we're a part of. Remember who you are. That's where it begins. Who do you think you are? And I think people who... who, can't really wrap their minds around the fact that God wants us to cease from sin in this life, really don't understand what has happened to them. Or think that everything that Paul's talking about is going to happen after we die. But he says, you have died. If you're united with Christ, you've died that death to sin. You've, you've died, you've been released from the power of sin. Not the presence of sin in the world, right? Because that's still painfully obvious but none of that can tell you what to do anymore and you've got to tell your body that (laughs) you have to tell your mind that that no matter how tyrannical no matter how intimidating no matter how seductive any of that is it has no power over you and i think that's where it starts Uh, And if it's anything less than that, if it's just like kind of a stoic, you know, because stoics, someone who comes from a stoic mindset can live a pretty pure life in the way that in ways that some of us could only hope, you know, very self-controlled, their appetites, their desires, their emotions. But you can do all of that under the power of sin, independent from God. So God's not looking for a more stoic people. God's looking for a people who really understand who they are and live and present themselves to him, not as just a a cold, pietistic people, but as a people who really understand who they are and and what happened to them when they were crucified with Christ. So yeah, I I think that's that's what's on my heart, is to get a bigger vision for. Don't struggle with sin; just stop. It's not worth the struggle. Like zoom out and say, why am I? Why do I insist on speaking French? Still, why do I still even think in these terms? I'm a totally new kind of person, and I need to let that reckoning be a transforming, and that's what, that's what happens. You become transformed as, you, as your mind comes into, uh, comes into agreement with that. And we'll talk about, as we keep going, so seven, we talk about the, the problem of the law or the complexity of that. But eight says, yeah, there's this tension. There's the flesh and the spirit. They're at war, right? And that's where we live right now. But let me tell you. He says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll also do the kind of work in you that makes that spiritual reality a physical reality in your body as well. You will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's before you die. Your resurrection body isn't mortal. So he says there is a, there is a power at work within you that can, even that even that mortal body that's going to get weak and die, that's subject to all these different temptations, even that mortal body, he can give life to death by the, by the power at work within you. So I think we need to set our sights on that that we're a new, kind of, a new kind of creature, right? And I, <laughs> a, great, a, a great metaphor for this is the whole, the whole idea of the matrix, right? Once you understand what's actually happening, you can live within the matrix and you bend all sorts of rules. Like, I don't have to go by this computer program. I'm, I'm an autonomous person, right? Because all of this that I see is just an illusion, All these scary people that that are forcing me to do it, this is all just an illusion. I have power over this, right? Because I know who I really am. And and that's what he's saying. You've got to reckon yourself. You've got to remember. This is all an illusion. The dominion of sin is all an illusion now. You are a new kind of person. You live in a new kind of way. And so in this life, in this fallen world, Live from that. Live from that perspective of reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Amen. Any any questions? I hope it's I hope it's uh, coming through somewhat clearly. Sin's not normal for a Christian, and I, and I think we've done ourselves a great disservice. It's not humble to admit. It's not humble to admit that you're just human, right? It denies the power of what God does in in redeeming you. You're not just human. You're united with Christ. You're not just Adam. You are Jesus Christ. You are united with him. How, How should you live then? You were just human, and it makes perfect sense the way that you lived. But now you're not. Right, that lie, I think, goes really deep. We even use, we use that language of humanity. God did a new thing. There's a new humanity. And that's, that's who we are. And for us, sin has none of the power that it does for those who are still in old Adam now we may need to consider and I don't think this applies to anyone in the room but there may be people that they haven't really been brought from death to life they haven't turned they haven't repented they haven't embraced in faith they haven't believed in Jesus They, they haven't been truly baptized um all right, any, any thoughts or comments, questions? Yeah. Just um, the metaphor in Exodus that makes the most in how we should relate to sin is Jericho and how God's choice was not to make them more numerous or more powerful and yeah. still engage in warfare yeah. in the same way. Yeah. You know, it was like the rules of engagement have totally changed. Yes. It, right? The yes. rules of physics don't even apply, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and so just that mindset difference, you know. Yeah. Do this thing that seems absolutely ludicrous if you evaluate it based on the world determines is not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like how you said the laws of physics don't apply because that's exactly what it means to become united with him. We become it's it's symphusia. We take on his physics. <laughs> we are we are Jesus. Our physics now are are Jesus rules. His resurrected life rules. That's our; Those are our physical laws now, not Adam physics. The nature, yeah. I think just going along with what Ben said, just the psalm, even where we've Christ's uncrisis tonight, trampling over death by death, that's like just the most. Yeah. You know, it's like totally uh, turning things upside down. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, chapter 7 kind of digs into that, the, that, that mystery. Yeah.
1: I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about this chapter in Romans in terms of the whole miracle, the resurrection of Lazarus. I've read that a couple times. Yeah. Because Jesus uses some really interesting language there and it really changes the way that people think about the imminence uh, and power of his mission there. I mean, he says, I am the resurrection. And the life almost as a rebuke. And then he says, um, Whoever believeth in me, though he die, yet shall I live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And you know, there's like a paradox there that is, I think, Paul really tries to unpack deeply yeah. in Romans. But what strikes me there is kind of what you're saying and what Vince is saying and, uh, concerning Jericho. But, uh, things are changing and they're changing now because yeah. of who Christ is yeah. because of what he has done for us and you know a lot of times when I think about the miracles in the Bible you know, it says that the miracles were to reveal Christ's authority but a lot of times they were mixed with things like him telling someone that their sins were forgiven Yeah. yeah or uh, he would tell someone go and sin no more yeah. and I have a deep conviction that, that those were um, miraculous and powerful commands by, by Christ that um, that were that he was able to exert authority to do because of the stripes in his back. Yeah. And yeah. so that power is available to us. That dynamic is is ours and I think we have to think of it in the way that, that yeah. you have presented it, in the way that Penn is understood here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is the, that's the reckoning. That's the accounting. It's just as real as the law of thermodynamics. In, in, in the new life, it's just as much of a given. We are dead to sin and alive to God. We base our reality, our conception of reality, upon that, that fact. So what happens when we, after we believe, you know, obviously, what, ha- what is it that happens when we, when we sin, even though we are believers? I'm asking, I don't know, the answer to the question, <laughs> I'm seeing if anybody knows. <laughs> Uh, Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Do not get your hopes up. The real complexity is there. What is is the interplay between the law and sin? How does sin actually, or how does the law actually increase sin? What's going on here? That's, That's the head scratcher. Sin's not normal. It's an illusion, and its power over you is an illusion. Particularly, yeah, particularly its power over you is an illusion. It's it's leftover conditioning from the old way of life. And there is, you know, walking with, with Christ is a process of reconditioning. right? That's why I think transformation is such a... It's such a key idea when he gets to chapter 12 and and renewal, right? It's, we don't suddenly, the power is completely done away with, but man, it takes a while to adjust. You know, it's like an astronaut who comes back to earth and (laughs) can barely walk. It takes a while to adapt to that new life. I think of uh, the great divorce when they get to heaven, like the grass is so real, it hurts their feet. But that's that's kind of what it is. Like, all right, now you're in this kingdom. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I really am like this this uh, foal just kind of flailing around. Right? I've just been, I don't know how to walk. I don't know how to balance it. But the process of renewal and transformation puts us on. That's And that's just because of our mortal bodies. Right? We're still in our mortal bodies. And uh, that's why I take so much hope in, the, in that scripture that says, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead can also give life, like life in the, in the Genesis sense, like full life to your mortal bodies. You can participate in eternal life in your mortal bodies. Yeah. And, you know, the best is yet to come. But now, man, there's, there's glorious things that we can walk in. Amen? All right. Father, I pray that you, would, um, that you would renew us, Lord, and transform us. Lord, that we're the areas of our life, Father, that we do still struggle with sinful attitudes, with sinful behaviors, with sinful desires. Lord, help us to bring this word, uh, the light of this word, into each of those areas. Lord, where there are members that we have, that we have and, and maybe continually do present as instruments of sin. Whether it's thought patterns, emotions, physical actions, um, Lord, anything, any way in which we presented ourselves to sin and, and continue. Lord, help us to understand what's going on there. Help us to understand that sin doesn't have dominion there that we are, we are turning back toward Egypt in those areas, that we, are re, that, that we are submitting ourselves to a ruler that doesn't have any authority over us. And help us to, to present actively, Lord, uh, all of those areas to you so that you can transform them so that through your spirit, as, as it says, you can bring life to those areas. We can live in our minds. We can live in our behaviors. We can live... Um, in every way, by the Holy Spirit, we can live in a way that that is truly life and isn't sin that leads to death. Lord, these are are things your Spirit has to really speak to our heart. And so we ask you to do that. We do desire to be holy, but Lord, we're terrible at, at figuring out how to do that and what that really looks like. I pray that we would not um, be hasty and and define for ourselves what holiness looks like and try and do that and just create another law that we can't follow. Lord, help us to truly walk with you, to walk with you, Lord, in the newness of life. Lord Jesus, invite us into that We yield to that. We want to walk in the newness of life and all the fullness of what that means. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.